We have just seen the worst performance maybe ever from a pit quarterback. That's the open. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of Football Unscripted here on the Pit Talk Network. I'm Corey Cohen, and I'm joined today from the Sickos Committee podcast from Twitter, Pit Girl. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I, you were there at the game in Morgantown, so we've got a first-hand perspective. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So uh, that is the last, first and last time that the word delighted will be <laughs> uttered on this <laughs> podcast because we have to talk. We're just going to jump right into it. There's not going to be a ton of format here. We were saying right before we went on, this is just going to be a therapy session because Pitt lost the backyard brawl to West Virginia in Morgantown, 17 to 6, largely because of the worst performance from a Pitt quarterback any of us could possibly remember Phil Dracovic, the transfer sixth year player went eight for 20 had 81 yards no touchdowns three interceptions I was livid on Saturday night and I wasn't even there what was it like for you being in Morgantown where you've got all these fans being able to gloat and there's not a single thing you can you, you essentially agree with them because he was awful from any way you look at it. He was atrocious. It was immensely frustrating. I just, uh, man, we were down seven or eight. We were down eight and that felt like a million points. Yeah. And, and it was just, just deeply frustrating. I was in, I was with some pit season ticket holders and we, the section that WVU put us in was kind of mixed. I was sitting next to a guy who was a pit season ticket holder in a West Virginia hoodie because his son's a student. Nice guy. <laughs> and there were WVU fans immediately behind us and there were pit fans booing as you do. Yeah. Not me. I don't boo the team, but like, I get it. Right. And they were like, wait, are you booing your own team? And we were like, yeah, and this is why. And they were like, oh, like it wasn't even, there was some, some well-deserved like gloating. Right. But it was more like everybody in the entire stadium was like, what exactly are we watching here? <laughs> <laughs> so, cause I mean, let's be honest, WVU didn't play that well either. No, And so it was just like watching two red pandas like slap at each other <laughs> for three hours. It was so ugly. And I think that's what's frustrating is that the West Virginia team did not play well. They are not a good football team. No, They went into the game 111th in the nation in pass defense. Their offense didn't look good at all. Now, part of that is because their starting quarterback, Eric Green, got injured. So he was out. Their backup was, he was okay for a backup, uh, Nico Markiel. But it, it was, they really have one player in, in C.J. Donaldson. And he played well. He played really well. At, but that's all they have. Mm -hmm. And their, their defense is okay. But it's not like West Virginia put up a great game. Even no. at least Cincinnati's defense was pretty good. And you could kind of understand, well, okay, maybe it's one-off. This West, Virgi West Virginia defense was not good. Pitt's offense was just completely inept because they have a quarterback who can't do a damn thing. He can't pass the ball. He can't pass the ball 30 yards down the field. He can't pass the ball three yards to the flat. He can't do anything. And it is it was, as you said, frustrating because you're watching this incredibly winnable game. And when West Virginia got to 14 points, as you said, that, that felt like it was it. There was no way that Pitt could get 14 points. There was no way that, that Pitt could find the end zone because Phil Dracovic was killing this team. Sean McDonough said it on the broadcast. I know you were there in person, but it was in incredible to see the announcers say this on national television in a college game where they said it's been wild to watch Pitt's offense not try to throw it down the field where West Virginia is, by all accounts, weak. But every time they try to do that, Phil Dracovic throws the ball away or it, it or gives it right to, to West Virginia. And so when the announcers could see that, people in the stands could see that, Pitt and West Virginia fans, people at home could see that. The West Virginia players knew that. How did everybody in the world realize this, even going into the game, let alone during the game, that Phil Dracovic is awful 
except apparently Pat Narduzzi. The rest of us have eyes. I don't know what's going on with Pat. Um, (laughs) I, I, I think some of it is also, as Pat said today in the press conference, today which i'm sure we will talk about we are recording on monday listener uh he spends a lot of his time thinking about the defense and the defense acquitted itself quite well actually um one of the things i was frustrated about was them for the second week in a row coming up with a turnover and the offense immediately wasting that advantage but I, i i think phil was in a signity offense at bc He's here now with the same OC. I think there's some loyalty there. I'm not going to try and psychoanalyze people, whatever. But, you know, I don't know. Given that Coach Narduzzi does spend most of his time on with with and on the defense, I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's really tough to to track. Now, he did say in the postgame press conference that because we are recording this again Monday after the presser. He spends, this is Pat Narduzzi saying, I spent 80% working on defense and that he's leaning on Frank, Frank Signetti, the offensive coordinator, to make those decisions. So he's essentially blaming Frank Signetti. Now, ultimately, the head coach, he can make a decision. It, mm-hmm. It's up to him. But he is leaning on Frank Signetti. And Frank Signetti, as you said, he's got a relationship with Phil Jerkovic that goes beyond just this season. So I don't know. It, this really then speaks badly on everyone because it speaks poorly on Frank Signetti that he's letting personal loyalty supersede what is so clear to everyone was clear against Cincinnati was clear against West Virginia is clear as we're recording this and we'll be going into North Carolina. And he is still allowing that personal relationship. We assume to get in the way. And then on Pat Narduzzi's end, I understand he's a defensive guy and he actually he's he's great at it. He does a really good job with that and his relationship with Randy Bates like they do a great job on that defensive end. But you you're still the head coach. Ultimately, you cannot just give half of your team away to an offensive coordinator and say you have carte blanche, do whatever you want. You still have authority and sometimes you have to use that authority to say I don't care that you have a relationship with this guy. He's terrible. We've got to put in the backup. And the fact that he is, I don't know if he's unwilling to do that. It's its bizarre to me. But sometimes it seems like Pat Narduzzi doesn't want to be a head coach. He wants to be a defensive guy. It's almost like, remember the Titans, where they essentially split the team in two. And they've got you've got the offense, I've got the defense. He just wants to be the defense guy and then let his offensive coordinator handle everything on offense, which... Okay, if you're going to do that, then you need to have a better offensive coordinator. Now, this is not entirely on Frank Signetti because there's only so much you can do with Phil Jerkovic. But if you're going to leave your entire offense in the hands of someone, it cannot be Frank Signetti Jr. No, no, at least not with the current set of decisions. I was sort of Signetti agnostic last season. (laughs) It was fine. Slovis was bad. He wasn't yeah. this bad. Right. Um, I didn't think it was, for example, those of you who have followed me on Twitter for a long time know I did not like Sean Watson. I didn't think it was as bad as that, right? In terms of play calling and just decision making. But not giving Vigu or Yarnell at least a chance is decision making bad decision making at like a top tier elite level at this point, because as I think I said already earlier, we all have eyes. I, yep. I, I don't know. I'm... It, it's so difficult to watch. I, I'm kind of with you on Frank Signetti. He's not as bad as Sean Watson and I'm not ready to throw him completely under the bus yet. Because there's only so much you can do. Now, if it's his decision on the quarterback, then he's hamstringing himself. But okay, there's only so much you can do. I liked that first drive where they just handed Ooh. the ball off every single play, and it worked out. And until they got to uh, to the goal line and they still refused to pass, then that didn't work out. But for the most part, that kind of offense, I get it. And if you just have a replacement-level quarterback in the game – 
Christian Veyer, Nate Yarnell, if you have Nick Patty last year, if you have Keaton Slovis last year, if you have anyone, that offense can work. It's not going to be amazing, but it can work. And it almost certainly beats West Virginia, almost certainly beats Cincinnati. But because they have a quarterback who can't do anything, there's only so much they can do. I mean, there were play calls where there were people open. There was one play call in particular, one play in particular, that drove me absolutely insane. It was the second interception that Phil Dracovic threw. Pitt was down. They needed to move the ball down the field. They needed a touchdown. And when you watch it back, there was Rodney Hammond open about 10 yards down the field, but with nobody near him and plenty of room to run. He could have thrown there just a 10-yard pass. Anyone could do that. There was Bub Means way down the field at the 15-yard line. He was past the safety, and no one was behind him. That was an easy touchdown, and he actually sees it. So mm-hmm. that you now have two guys open, solid play call, and Dracovic sees one of them, and he attempts to throw it to Bub Means at the 15-yard line, but he throws a duck that gets to about the 30-yard line. This is of West Virginia territory. There's a 15-yard short right to a West Virginia defensive back. It's intercepted. They run it down the field, and that was the end of the game. Any chance that Pitt had Mm -hmm. ended right there. That play made me lose my mind because every single thing about it was awful. And the play call actually was okay. This is why I'm not 100% out on Signetti. This was Phil Jerkovic with every opportunity, multiple opportunities to have a positive play. And he literally gave it away. Yeah, that was immensely frustrating at the end of the game. And this happened like on Pitt's own 15 and I was sitting in that corner. So I, I was looking right at him when this happened. The end of the game, the holding call. Phil was attempting to direct traffic. I saw him directing traffic through an incompletion and then it came back anyway because he had screwed around so long in the backfield that the offensive line had to hold so he didn't take a bad sack i just what are we doing here what are we doing here? i know i i feel like that the the famous uh that, that on i think it was sports center what are we doing i'm losing my mind what are we doing this is so bad this is Every single person can see this. You can see. We all have eyes. You've said it. That might be the title of this episode. It's <laughs> it's it's ridiculous that he can't complete any kind of pass. He can't complete deep balls. He can't complete short balls. He's got the yips. I don't know what it is. And they even said it on the broadcast. His body language is terrible. He'll miss these throws and he will look angry dejected i don't know who that's directed to if it's directed to himself it's if it's directed to his receivers it shouldn't be directed at anyone except himself but it's not even a look of oh i missed that but i'm gonna improve it's oh i can't believe this is happening and it's just gonna keep happening Mm -hmm. he he ruined momentum after the bambrima fumble where they west virginia had a chance to score Pitt gets the ball back Now they have it. They can drive down the field. And then I think it was two plays later, he throws his first interception. Second interception kills the game. Third interception was just the cherry on top. The only good thing that can be said about uh, Phil Dracovic against Cincinnati was that he didn't turn the ball over. And that was the only slight thing that I could actually understand why Signetti and Narduzzi would keep him in is, well, yeah, he's not very good, but he could be a game manager. He doesn't turn the ball over. Well, now he's turned the ball over three times, two of which were backbreakers. So, again, what are we doing? If he can't throw deep, if he can't throw short, if he can't uh, keep uh, hold on to the ball, if he can't be a game manager, what's he doing? He's ha- He can hand the ball off. I mean, what is the benefit of keeping him? And he's a sixth-year senior, so there's no possibility of improvement or, oh, we're working – Put Christian Veyer, put Nate Yarnell, and put someone else in who actually, even if they're not better, they can't be this bad, number one. And number two, there's at least a possibility that they can grow into something better. Because Viljakovic, this is his sixth year. He should never play another snap in college football again. I'm sorry that he can't transfer to a lower program and try to get some reps in there. He's just out of eligibility. Mm-hmm. But he should this is his last year he should never play another down for pit which means he should never play another down in college football he is done sorry to say it he is absolutely cooked 
and Pitt should not play him a single snap again. Yeah, I'm also just kind of over the whole Pitt brings in a transfer upperclassman thing. It really seems not to be working. Like, Nate Peterman was pretty good. He played for two years, though. He was pretty good. He wasn't amazing, but he was pretty good. And then Max Brown didn't work. Keaton Slovis didn't work. This is clearly not working. I don't know that Pitt is the kind of program that really should be looking to be transfer transfer. I mean, everyone has to transfer portal at least a little bit right now. Look at Clemson for what happens when you don't. Right. But I do kind of think that Pitt's stature in the sport is such that we should be looking more for guys who are underrated values and developing them in the same way that James Connor was at running back that, Kenny Pickett was a quarterback rather than going, Oh, we'll take this guy who was a five-star, but he's not starting at USC or transferred or Notre Dame or whatever. And there's, there's probably a reason for that, but we're not going to think too hard about it. Exactly. It's, it's, it is frustrating because in those cases, they were all of these cases, they were great high school players. Didn't really pan out in college. In some cases they were okay. I mean, there was, one season where Jerkovic was decent at Boston College. There was one season where Keaton Slovis was decent at USC. But for the most part, it hasn't worked out. And again, there's a reason for that. But they're just, they're thinking, oh, we can fix him, right? This is, mm. this is oh, I, I can fix him. No, you can't. There is there is a reason. And if maybe they can be fixed, maybe in the right system with the right coaches, they can be fixed. Pitt is not that place no. for quarterbacks, at least not with this leadership, not with Pat Narduzzi, a defensive-minded guy at head coach, not with Frank Signetti as the offensive coordinator. Maybe if you have an offensive quarterback whisperer as your offensive coordinator, then maybe it'll work. This staff is not turning someone who is maybe kind of broken, maybe looking for a change. They're, they're, this is not the place they're going to turn it around. And I, I'm in agreement with you. There's a reason that it, it has worked out that Kenny Pickett worked out. He was, he came into the program young. They gave him time. They worked with him. They built him up. That should be, or as you said, Nate Peterman who came in, but he still had multiple years of eligibility. This is not a fifth year or a sixth year player in Dracovic's case. So that would be equivalent of someone like a Christian Veyer who Mm -hmm. can come in and he has multiple years of eligibility that could work. So, I, I just don't understand why they're not go why they didn't do it again after Cincinnati, why they didn't do it at any point in the middle of the game. There were multiple series there. There was after halftime. And then I think every single series after that, where it, it blew my mind every single time that a drive started and I saw someone on Twitter and you saw it in person. Oh, no backup quarterback is warming up. Uh, 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 Jerkovic is putting his helmet on. He's going to go back out there every single drive in the second half. That blew my mind because I can kind of understand not making a change midway in the first half, even though it was clear, but at halftime, that's when you go up and you say, we're making a change. And then every single drive after that, when Jerkovic was terrible, you have to make a change. And at no point was it ever even considered according to Pat Narduzzi. And now he's, he's, he seems to be by all accounts, Sticking with Dracovic. Now, he's not necessarily going to say in a Monday press conference if he's making a change. So I get that. But I think there's at least a 50% chance, if not greater, that Dracovic is starting against North Carolina. And to me, I cannot wrap my head around that. I just can't. That game is going to be rough. Uh, I. Hope everybody's wait, wait, you, ready. You don't think you don't think Phil Dracovic can can uh, go air raid back and forth with Drake May? <laughs> if he are bombs down the field to keep up with the Heisman contender, uh, maybe we'll pretend that we're Army and <laughs> and it'll work out. I, I do actually think that potentially you could play like a like a time management like possession game against UNC. But it does require a little bit more competence from the quarterback than we have seen for that to work. So I'm not holding my breath. And if at any point Pitt is down, again, in the second half, this is the slowest offense I've ever seen. There was zero urgency in that second half when Pitt was down. Now, 
I wasn't even personally that worried because I didn't think that even if they had urgency, I didn't think Pitt had it in them to score 17 points. So to me, it was you could give them another hour on the clock. It doesn't matter. This offense can't do jack. However, in a normal offense, when you're down 17 to six in the fourth quarter, you have to move quickly. And this offense was out there like it was the first quarter and they were up a touchdown. It was everything about this offense is ugly. It's slow. It's just gross to watch. And I cannot fathom how they're going to keep going with this. Yeah, it was that was immensely frustrating in the second half as well. It's not the kind of slow that's a joy to watch. Like it's not Army, it's yeah. not Navy, it's not the like we know what we're here to do and we are intentionally moving slow. It was just slow because it was slow. I I just again, what are we doing out here? It, it blows my mind because it just there, there are, as you said, there's slow that has a purpose and there's slow that's not. There's not passing for a purpose, and then there's not passing because you can't accomplish anything. And it's just any time that Phil Dracovic did pass, it was either off target, out of bounds, to the grass, or it was to a West Virginia player. Again, those two interceptions were atrocious, and they both obliterated Pitt's chances in the game. The first chance, they took away a score from West Virginia, and then they give it right back to them. Mm -hmm. The second chance, Pitt actually could have made this a competitive game, and then he just gives it to West Virginia. It, it blows my mind that not only is he not a game manager, but he was he was like a, a double agent. He, he was like playing for <laughs> West Virginia. It, I, it, it was insane to me that there were all these passes that were so atrocious. They were right to West Virginia players where the Mountaineers look shocked that they actually intercepted it. They were shocked that the ball went right to them. Why? How do you justify a player being in the game when not only is he not a game manager, but he is giving the game, just giving the game to the opponent in back-to-back -back weeks. I cannot fathom the the decision in Signetti or Narduzzi's head if they decide to keep going with them because not a single other person on the planet would play Jerkovic after that game. Yeah. We haven't even talked about the block punt either. Like, no. shout out to special teams for blocking a punt and the offense immediately wasting that opportunity too. That was great. It, it just I, – I feel bad because we haven't talked about any of the – handful of positives in the game there was the block punt the defense for the most part mm -hmm. played really well Solomon DeShields had a great game McIntyre was everywhere he had mm -hmm. like a million tackles the Ben Sauls made both of his field goals Caleb Junko had some good punts out there there was Rodney Hammond in that opening drive looked amazing he did so th there's some there's talent there this could be a good team this is one player the most important at the most important position in sports one player who is destroying all of it and the coaches allowing that to happen. They are throwing away a team that has a, a good amount, plenty of talent because of the stubbornness to replace one single player. That is what is so frustrating is that this team could be really good. The preseason predictions, seven, eight wins, maybe even nine. They could be there with a Keaton Slovis level quarterback and they're not, and now they're one and three with no chance to get anywhere close to preseason predictions because they haven't replaced the one player who is ruining everything at this point. Yeah, I am very concerned that if Dracovic stays in for the entire season, we're going to go three and nine. Yeah, like, me too. We, we probably, Pitt can probably knock wood, beat BC. Pitt can probably knock wood, beat Virginia Tech, and that's about it. I, I think, and even Virginia Tech, they just announced prior to us recording, that's going to be a night game in Blacksburg. And why? that's going to be, yeah, first of all, why? Why is Pitt playing not noon every single game? We are going to get to, I think we're up to October 14th, that every game has been announced that it is either 3.30 or 8 or 7.38, that it's not noon. Mm -hmm. And maybe that'll change at Wake Forest. But outside of that, 
that might be it. The Syracuse game at Yankee Stadium is already set. Boston College is a Thursday night. Florida's uh, Notre Dame is already set. Florida State, I don't think, is going to be a night game. I don't think at Duke is necessarily uh, uh, going to be a noon game. It just Pitt should at this point, Pitt should be buried at noon because no one wants to watch this offense. It is disgusting to watch. And yet they keep putting them in noon. And this isn't even the problem, at least the NFL, you know, when Aaron Rodgers went down, it's like, Oh, well the jets, they've got all these primetime games and they can't move out because they schedule ahead of time. They schedule preseason college. Isn't like that. They're scheduling just like two weeks out. They can put Pitt on at noon. I have no idea why they aren't doing it. But that that game in Blacksburg at night, that's not going to be easy. Now, maybe at Wake Forest, but even three wins is not very easy to see at this point. And that is what is so pathetic. Because Now, this all could change if they change quarterback. We have no idea how they or Yarnell or whoever would do. But if things stay that the way that they are, I'm with you. I, I'm not sure that I see more than three wins and even three wins I think would be difficult. Yeah, man, this isn't great. No, the vibe is, is so bad. I can you remember a time that the vibe has been this bad? I don't think so. No. And I was at the five fumble Georgia tech game and I stayed for the entirety of that game as a student. I believe. Yeah, I was there too. Yeah. That was ridiculous. Yeah, I, I've I've seen some bad pit games. I, I will say Saturday did not leave me feeling as like completely empty in my soul as fifty one to six did. Okay, yeah. And I don't know how much of that is the weather being awful at fifty one to six and all of that, but whoo, that was I've seen a lot of bad pit football. I have not seen pit football quite that bad in a long time, if ever. I think one of the things that I was, I was pretty livid, but I was not as empty. And I think because of the reason is because it's one player. And if that one player is replaced, there's a chance. Now, again, there, they are unknowns, Christian Veyer and Nate Yarnell to some extent, but there is a chance that this team could be decent. Mm -hmm. They're not what we thought they were going to be the chances of Phil Dracovic being a really good player, better than Keaton Slovis and leading this team to eight, maybe nine wins. That's dead. However, if they make a change, this could be a team that beats Virginia tech, that beats Louisville, that beats wake forest, that beats Boston college, maybe Syracuse. Like they're, if they make the change, I could see a way to get to bowl eligibility. But if they don't do that, and they don't do that really soon, now I think Pitt loses to North Carolina no matter what. I still think they need to make a change because Dracovic is awful. However, if they if they are still starting Dracovic against Virginia Tech, that is waving a white flag. That is waving a white flag on the season. To me, they in fact, they already waved it. In, yeah. the, in the West Virginia game, again, I could kind of give them the benefit of the doubt playing him, starting him. But once he got past halftime, once you saw that how he played in the first half, that was it. It was waving the white flag, putting him out there. It was sacrificing uh, the season for one player who has been with the program for a few months. And it, it, it just blows my mind that they are willing to do that. That the stubbornness is willing that their stubbornness is willing to throw away a season that had plenty of potential. And now there's no potential. The ceiling for this team is making a change and getting to bowl eligibility. And that is frankly pathetic. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating. It's, it's really, really frustrating. I, it's, uh, it, it's, it's difficult. So, I mean, if, if you're at this point with, Frank Signetti, again, both of us are down on him, not necessarily out, but there are multiple problems. And I know I said one player, but there were still other problems. The wide receivers didn't look good. Playing I'd... Daniel Carter didn't, in some of those cases, did not look good. Yeah. There, there were problems beyond beyond Dracovic. I know he's the main culprit, but there, there are still problems. Yeah. I don't know how much of the receivers looking bad is the receivers not being great versus 
even when Phil gets the ball kind of close to them, he's still forcing them to make extremely difficult catches. Yeah. Right. I I do think that this receiver core is not as good as some of the receiver cores Pitt has seen in the past. Bub Means reminds me very much of Jester Wea in like 2014 before he figured out that he had thumbs. <laughs> And I, but there's like, there's some potential there, right? The other thing that is frustrating, and again, I know a lot of this is because Phil can't throw, but two weeks in a row, Gavin Bartholomew has not even been targeted until the second half of the game. And he's probably the best receiver on the field. Yep. What are we doing? I know. And he's, he's talented, he's experienced, and he plays a position that should be perfect for a quarterback that can't throw it. it mm-hmm. This is, oh, Gavin Bartholomew is open 10 yards down the field. Surely, Phil Dracovic, you can throw it 10 yards down the field. They're the, the and he's best the size of a of, truck. You can't miss him. Right. <laughs> you throw it anywhere in his vicinity, and he's got a chance to get it. The on, Maybe the only good throw that Dracovic had all game was the one to Gavin Bartholomew. You just throw it to He finds a way to get open. You get it to him just 10 yards. Let him get another 5 or 10 on his own. I have no idea why this offense isn't run almost entirely. If you're going to stick with a quarterback that can't do a damn thing, why this offense isn't run through Rodney Hammond and Sebo Flemister on the ground, and then occasionally throws to Gavin Bartholomew about 10 yards and then let him do the work. Mm. And then maybe once in a blue moon, you get the wide receivers involved. But with a quarterback that you don't trust to do anything, there are still ways that they could have done a little bit more. And that involves getting Bartholomew more involved, getting Hammond more involved instead of Daniel Carter on those third down plays where you throw it to the out. I mean, it's, there were just so many frustrations in that game. Another thing I didn't even think about that fourth and one, it was a fourth and long one that Pitt decides to go for it. And with plenty of time on the play clock, they rush up to do a, QB sneak that everyone in the world saw coming and Dracovic went maybe a half a yard. It was, he didn't even like try to go. It was, it was so bad. And it was like, again, every single person watching that was, what are they doing? This is like, this is almost fourth and two. And they're running up with plenty of time to do a QB sneak. West Virginia has an absolutely stacked box. And Djurkovic was only trying for about a half a yard. Like he thought it was fourth and inches. Mm-hmm. It was just another head scratcher is, is too light. Honestly, it was, it was another just head smash against your wall out of frustration. <laughs> yeah, that was frustrating. That's that is particularly frustrating because the one thing that I think we can pretty much say is, is actually better about Jerkovic and about Keaton Slovis is that he's not a statue. He took yeah. a couple of bad sacks, but he wasn't just getting murdered like Slovis did in a couple of games last year. Like he can run a little bit. Okay. What if we considered leaning into that a little bit more also? Uh, there are definitely ways to improve the situation. I, again, I would like to see one of the backups don't really care which one at this point be given a, sh- a shot. Uh, but there are also, as you have accurately pointed out, there are other things that could be done to potentially improve the situation as well. Yeah, it's, it's just so difficult because there are ways to have a decent offense. You essentially go like full triple option at this point, Mm -hmm. if you're going to keep Dracovic in there, but you can't keep Dracovic in there. You could have done that in Cincinnati. You could have done that maybe against West Virginia. It's done. He is done. He is cooked. If he goes out there against North Carolina, the booze will be so enormous. It'll it'll sound like Hunts just took over naming of the field. <laughs> like it, it's going to be a nightmare if he goes out there, and it, it's going to be directed at everyone involved. It'll be mm-hmm. directed at COVID, but it'll be directed at Frank Signetti. It'll be directed at Pat Narduzzi. It'll be directed at everyone in the football program who apparently either they don't have eyes or they are choosing to close their eyes to not see what is so blatantly obvious. Phil Jerkovic, whether he used to be able to or not, cannot play quarterback anymore. 
He's done. I said this on Twitter. He's been, he is Ben Simmons. He, I don't know what happened. I don't know if something got in his head. I don't know if it's the yips. I have no idea what it is, but he can no longer play this game anymore. Not this position, at least. He can't do it. He, no. there's, there's, there's a block in there that he can't do it. I, I, I sympathize, but man, putting him out there, that's bad for everyone, including Phil Jerkovic. Mm-hmm. He's done. He is absolutely done. You can tell from his body language. He is done. You cannot put him back out there. Yeah. At this point, they're asking for the booing too. Yeah. Between what Phil said last week and the Narduzzi comment last week about folks on Twitter in their basements. Um, hello, Pat. I am not in my basement. I, I am also a, basement. a donor. I'm not a big dollar donor, but it would be great if you didn't piss your donors and your NIL donors off by saying things like that. Yeah. Just saying. And then today's press conference, please, someone, someone, not me, I will not be driving across the state again, but someone show up with a Boo City sign, please. Yeah, I would enjoy Boo that. City, yay. I like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's antagonistic and it's so frustrating. Pat Narduzzi has many qualities that Pitt fans love, many Pitt, uh, many qualities that Pitt fans tolerate, but he's got a couple qualities that that just are not good. And they are being antagonistic to really anyone, including people who work for him, donate to his program, things like that. And it's the stubbornness and arrogance that, again, it's we're not saying that, that Pat Narduzzi isn't a good head coach because he is. He without a doubt is. However, he has these Achilles heels. And Mm -hmm. if he doesn't work to overcome them, if he doesn't talk to a therapist, a sports psychologist, something to get out of his own way, it could end up being his downfall. He needs to realize, yeah, maybe I don't know everything about, especially about quarterbacks and about offense. Maybe I should make, maybe when everyone in the world who's not me and my offensive coordinator see something, Maybe there's a reason for that. I know that they are not th- that us fan. We don't have a lifetime of being in film room, film rooms, and all mm. of that. But there is still something to be said when everyone, when announcers, when opposing teams, when everybody, when former players, former players were on Twitter. I saw that. Benched. Every single person, people who have been in those film rooms, can acknowledge that Phil Jakovic cannot play quarterback anymore and when everyone is saying that and your response as a coach isn't maybe they've got a point maybe i should consider making a change but it's they're all wrong only i'm right man that is that is a bad attitude to have and it's going to hurt it's going to come back to hurt when a season is thrown away because of the stubbornness to not admit failure in bringing in phil Jerkovic and starting him through three weeks and just make a change. Yeah. The way I like to put it is that Pat might be a Jagoff, but he's our Jagoff. Yep. Right now he's just being a Jagoff. Like he's, it's not him being verbally belligerent is amusing when it it is targeted at someone that's not his own fan base. Yep. But it is much less amusing when it is a, his own fan base and B, not just like the message board geniuses saying message board genius things. Right. Right. This is a, as we have exhaustively documented in the last 40 minutes, a very valid criticism. And it does not seem that that criticism is being heard at all, whether that is because of where it has come from or how it has been presented or whatever it is. There is just something going on in the facility in Southside that we as fans do not have access to that is making Pat Narduzzi and Frank Signetti see something that we are not. And I have no idea what it possibly could be because he can't look that bad in games and look great in practice. There's just no way. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's either that something in practice is, is up 
or they can see it. And again, they are just too stubborn to make a change. And you said it, this isn't just a couple random people on a message board with some ridiculous statement, because we've seen that in the past that James Conner, they should move him back to defense. He's not really a running back. Like there have been some times where you hear some ridiculous uh, statements from a small sliver of the fan base and you could just write that off. That's fine. We don't mind that. And when you clown Lincoln Riley, when you clown James Franklin, when you clown these other people, it's fun and whatever. But when everybody, when the West Virginia players were out there in the postgame press conference saying, we knew he wasn't a good quarterback. When the announcers are saying something is up, his body language is terrible. Every time he throws the ball, something bad happens. When every single person, including former players under Pat Narduzzi, are saying this guy is bad, you can't just look at that and say they're all wrong and then get defensive and get stubborn. You have to be willing to admit defeat. You have to be willing to admit that you made a mistake. You thought Phil Jerkovic would do well. It's understandable. He was decent at Boston College. I get it. No one's faulting you for bringing him in necessarily and starting him against Wofford and starting him against Cincinnati. But at a certain point, you have to be willing to try something else. All the great coaches do it. Pat Narduzzi acts in these press conferences like, oh, if you're a good head coach, if you know what you're doing, you got to have faith. You got to let things gel. He He said that. He said that this is everyone. This isn't just on the quarterback and that it takes time to gel and, and all of this stuff. Well, we've seen some great coaches, some Hall of Fame coaches, some national championship winning coaches. Say Nick Saban, for instance, has played three quarterbacks in the last two games. They are willing to make a change. They won a national championship because midway in the game, he said Jalen Hurts, who's a really good quarterback, doesn't have it. Let me put into a tongue of Iloa. And then he led them to a national championship. The best coaches are willing to admit that they made a mistake or that something isn't working. They'll make a change and it can lead to phenomenal successes. And that's even when a quarterback is decent, like Jalen Hurts was in the national championship. And when lights are brightest, if Nick Saban could do it, surely Pat Narduzzi, you can do it. Yeah. Take a look at the box score for the Alabama USF game, by the way, both of those quarterbacks are really not that much better than Phil was. It's almost like, Maybe it's worth making a change when things aren't going so hot. Yeah. It, it just. The he again, it's the the attitude of acting like, oh, if you're a coach, if you're a good coach, you don't want to just ditch your quarterback. You got to give this time. Well, no, because the really good coaches do ditch their quarterback when it is clear that they are bad at football. And that is clear to absolutely everybody. And the the thing that is keeping this team from what could have been an eight-win season to now what is maybe a three-win season is the stubbornness to keep Phil Jerkovic out there. It's it is so frustrating to watch this continue. And again, with even Keaton Slovis, if Keaton Slovis plays, this team is three and zero, and I think they've got a good shot at seven, eight wins. But now, yeah, three wins. That that's probably it in in both of our considerations. Unless there's a change of quarterback, and at this point, we have no idea what that could mean. But man, to throw away a season, to throw away two wins, including a rivalry win, a backyard brawl win in Morgantown because of your stubbornness, ah, uh, that is absolutely brutal. Yeah, yeah. I will say, hop, hopping off of of. The offense, which I don't know that there's anything else to say, un unfortunately. Morgantown was a lot of fun. And I know that probably sounds weird to hear, but it really, really was. Um, almost everyone I talked to was super nice. West Virginia fans have a reputation. I did not. I'm sure they have earned it in the past, but that was not my experience on Saturday. I think Pitt and West Virginia fans are both just happy that this game is back. And we all kind of know that neither of these teams are very good. And it was just a good time. Like, was there a lot of eat shit pit? Absolutely. There was, I do not personally find that offensive West Virginia. You do you congratulations. You're loud and you have a not super creative chant. Have fun <laughs> with it. Right. 
Um, but like I said, I I sat next to a guy who was a pit season ticket holder in a West Virginia hoodie, like just very, very nice people top to bottom. Shout out to my fellow sicko Beth for letting me and my friends crash her tailgate. Um, a tremendous time. The PRT is very fun to watch go by, by the way, if you have never been to Morgantown, it's, it's delightful. It is just, just so cute. I love it. I wanted to, yeah, I I wanted to ask because on, from what I've heard from you, what I've heard from essentially everyone, it was a pretty positive, enjoyable experience down there. And the, the last time the rivalry was played was when I was a student and that was before West Virginia goes to the big 12 and Pitt goes to the ACC. And there was a game in Morgantown and I heard bad things about people that went down from people that went down there. And it just, it, it did from all accounts, it was not safe. Batteries were thrown at people. Coins were thrown at people. That was a hostile environment, not hostile in, oh, it's fun. They get really loud on third downs, but hostile as in they make opposing fans feel unsafe. And I'm all for chance, eat shit pit. That's fine. Whatever. It's Mm -hmm. as you said, it's not creative, but okay, sure. Fine. It's I'm fine with that. But what you can't do is openly antagonize people and when it comes to anything that could be violence or getting right up in their face and things like that in the past again all accounts that i've heard i haven't been there that was the case but in this in this year it seemed like this was a good atmosphere and Mm -hmm. that's really cool i'll admit i want to go now in two years because i don't know exactly what changed if maybe people are more grateful that the rivalry exists because it was gone for so long and that rivalries are dying left and right now because of realignment. The fact that this game is being played. I wonder if for West Virginia fans, their games against Texas tech and TCU, uh, they're, they're okay, but they love this game and they're so appreciative to have it. And Pitt fans should be as well that to have a rivalry game amongst all the realignment chaos. I think maybe we have gotten to the point. We are just grateful for having it that now we can look at it more for what it is, which is there's a rivalry. Yeah, we hate each other in the game, but that doesn't mean violence. That doesn't mean being nasty to people. And that can be a really fun experience where at the tailgates, even in the stands, it, there's some camaraderie there. Yeah, during the game on third down, you're going to get loud. You're going to chain each pit. That's all fine. But that for the most part, this can be a, a rivalry that exists in – in a fun place and the thing that makes college football great. And from what you've said, it sounds like, like that was absolutely the case down there. And that's great. Yeah, it really was. I did not run into anyone who was belligerent. I did have someone who was belligerent, a West Virginia fan in Heinz field last year. Okay. Um, but there was, I did not, like I said, I did not personally run into anyone belligerent from what I have gathered from other folks that I've talked to who were there. Same thing. Um, I think the band had a little bit of a rough time, which isn't great. You never want to hear that, but Generally speaking, I, th- I think it went pretty well. Also, uh, Mountaineer Field is a really nice venue. And I like college stadium, right? So no seat backs, none of that. But it's the right size. It was loud. It has great sight lines. Like being there more than anything makes me wish that we had a venue like that. And like Pitt Stadium wasn't gone and we had a home. Because um, Heinz Field isn't home. It's, it is a place where Pitt plays, but it is not ours. And that was a really cool experience to have gotten to have. And I just, I wish that was a thing that Pitt fans had. Yeah. I, I think the relationship with the Steelers has its benefits, mostly Mm -hmm. on the South side, the Mm -hmm. practice facility and all that. And for some games like last year, it was the most attended sporting event in Pittsburgh sports history. Mm -hmm. So there are some benefits, but. That, by all accounts, that is the kind of stadium that Pitt should have, where it would be packed, and the, as you said, just the atmosphere, people are close, the sound is sort of trapped inside. That I wish, go back 10, 15 years, when there wasn't so much development on the south side, and Pitt built a stadium there that, okay, it's not quite on campus, but it's close, but most importantly, it's designed for Pitt games. Mm-hmm. It is Pitt's home, and... It it's the right size, it's the right atmosphere. That that would be incredible because by all accounts, that sounds like 
the kind of stadium, the kind of atmosphere that I would love for Pitt to have. And when the fans are in it for the huge games, it's there. Yeah. But for a lot of the games, it's not obviously. And yeah, it, by all accounts, that seems like a, a cool stadium, a cool atmosphere. Uh, and that's, that's great that, that you got to experience it and that we have this, this firsthand account uh, on, <laughs> on what it was like down there and that it was, that it was a, a really uh, positive atmosphere this time. Yeah, it was great. I will probably go back in 2025, especially because the rivalry takes a little break for a couple of years after that. So, yeah, I I have I have no regrets. I would recommend it, honestly. I'm definitely going to try in, in two years, providing this team doesn't completely lose me forever by rolling <laughs> Phil Dracovic out there for the rest of the season. Because I'm telling you, this game, the next game against North Carolina, that's going to be played the same time as Ohio State and Notre Dame. Uh, I know it's it's technically my job to be watching these pit games, but if they put Phil Dracovic out there, I don't know how I'm going to watch that and not lose my mind. Double screen. Double screen. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be the double screen. But honestly, I think my eyes are just going to be glued to the one screen because I don't think my psyche can take watching Phil Dracovic for another full game. I'm I just got to have some alert. Like someone text me when they bench Dracovic. Someone do it. Because until then, eh, it, there, <laughs> there's no reason. We know what's going to happen. We know that. And again, if they change the quarterback, fine. But right now, I think North Carolina is a six and a half point favorite. And that's being generous to Pitt. This is going to be brutal. Line came out at five. And I was like, Vegas, were you, what were you watching? Like <laughs> West Virginia was on ABC. I know you weren't watching something else. Yeah. It's. Maybe they thought it was a one-off like people thought against Cincinnati. I, I'll admit, I kind of thought maybe it's a one-off. Not so much so Jacobic, but the rest, you know, they can turn it around. Maybe this is somewhat of a one-off, and I think Pitt can beat West Virginia. But in the West Virginia game, I now look at it and say, no, this isn't a one-off. This team is not good. The quarterback is atrocious, and the coaches leaving him in there is killing the season. So at this point, I'm out. I, I don't see Pitt even having a remotely close game against North Carolina and if Phil Dracovic is still playing beyond that that is that's just a joke we'll, we'll cross that bridge if we get to it if you are the czar of pit football and you can make decisions right now if you have superiority over Pat Narduzzi if you're brought in you're hired by Heather like to say you you've got to go and, and clean this up you can tell Pat Narduzzi what to do you can tell Frank Signetti what to do you can tell whatever it's going to be up to you. You're like the accountants in Parks and Rec. They come in and have to just fix a town that's gone bankrupt. <laughs> uh, you're, you're Ben White. What do you do? How do you change things to turn this season around and at least try to get to bowl eligibility? Six wins. Number one, we thank Phil for his time. And then we ask him to sit on the bench. Give him a gold watch. Yes. <laughs> thank you for your uh, service. I do not. I did not watch. I missed the spring game. I have not watched enough tape to know whether Veyu or Yell or uh, Yarnell is the better choice to start. Give them both a series and see what ha a couple series and see what happens. Right. I have no strong opinion about which one of them should play instead of Phil, but one of them should play in instead of Phil. If they can pass a little bit pass a little bit more, give Gavin Bartholomew the ball more. As I said earlier, he is probably the best receiver on the field. We should use him more. This is not hard. Uh, having, I think, Pat Narduzzi sometimes, and I think rightfully so, to a degree, has received criticism from the national media about looking at the 2021 offense with Kenny Pickett and say, turning around and saying, that was cool. I don't want to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. I don't think we need to go back to a Mark Whipple offense, but I do think that thinking about the way that we run the ball more and being more intentional and strategic in being a run first team makes sense. And again, not necessarily saying we need to go full option, but being intent, like, are we doing a ball control kind of run game? Are we going to go a little bit more, not quite Gus Mills on Auburn, but like running a lot, but moving faster, like do something besides playing like it's 1985. 
in terms of running the ball a lot. I'm cool with running the ball a lot. That's great. But I want it to look like it's 2023, which it is. And like, there's more of a plan. That's all I have to say. I'm not an NXs and O's genius, but if I'm coming in and reshaping pit football in my image, that's where we start. And we see where it takes us. I'm in agreement. I think that first drive worked out well. Yeah, that was great. It, yeah, it, they can run the ball, but they can run the ball when there is at least a threat of passing. Like you run the ball six times in a row, and then when West Virginia catches onto it, then you pass 20, dar- 20 yards down the field and you've got a touchdown. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of offense Pitt should run. Run first, but the pass needs to be able to be an option. And with Phil Jerkovic, it's not an option. No one in the world thinks that it's an option, and that's a problem. So if if I'm Nazar, if I come in similar to you, although honestly, Phil Jerkovic, they say he's a leader. I don't know. I'd have to see it for myself. Certainly doesn't seem like it. I wouldn't even say sit on the bench. I'd say you've played three games. See if you can get another red shirt and have a seventh year in college football and transfer somewhere somewhere else. Thanks for your service. We're we're good. It's done. The, the, after those two games, not only do I not want to see him have another snap, I really don't care to see him in a pit football uniform. It, it's it's a failed experiment. I'd rather they just cut the ties. I would do that. I'd keep Signetti on a short leash. I would have some, and then maybe moving forward, you get an offensive coordinator who, as you said, can be run first, but also acknowledges that the forward pass has existed in this Mm -hmm. sport for quite a while, and you need a quarterback who can accomplish that. Also, if you're going to bring in a transfer, I don't know whose fault it is that the last couple, last three have been awful, but maybe have better evaluators, maybe just don't rely on that. Maybe you can bring in a transfer, but have an actual open quarterback competition, maybe bring in a transfer to be your backup. If that can work out, just something or bring in a transfer with, with Vayer where they've got multiple years of eligibility, but the thing they've been doing hasn't been working. So you've got to try to build something, either a freshman or a young transfer. You've got, to have Signetti on a short leash. You've got to run this offense more modern. We're both in agreement. Run first works, but uh, it's just been ugly. And, and I mean, the 2016 offense was a lot of fun and it It was was run first. Yeah. I would Steelers fans ignore me for this purpose, but like as a pit fan, I would gladly take back Canada back. That was a lot of fun. Like, I don't see why that can't work in co- it clearly worked at Pitt. I don't see why that can't work in college now. I know his stint at LSU didn't go super great, but like it's LSU. Yeah, it's a different I something like that, something where again, where it is not where Pitt is not playing like it's 1975 because it's not 1975 anymore. Except Pitt was good in 1975. Yeah, maybe they could play like it was 1975. <laughs> Just so frustrating. I want those shovel passes back. I want that exciting 2016 offense. Bring that back to me. But going back to, to Narduzzi stubbornness, uh, burn the bridge with Matt Canada. And yeah. so that will will not be happening. No. Um, Just a difficult spot, but... Uh, it's so much fun to talk to you in this episode about everything. So glad uh, you were there to witness the horror that was the pit offense. <laughs> um, pit girl, thank you so much for coming on. Please tell listeners where they can find you, follow you, all of that. Awesome. Thank you again for having me. I am obnoxiously pit girl. You can find me as uh, under, oh, I always change my handle. Hang on. Sorry. Um, <laughs> The underscore OPG on the website formerly known as Twitter or at opg.bluesky.social on Blue Sky. I am also a permanent guest on the Sickos Committee podcast. You can find us wherever podcasts are found. Uh, We publish on Tuesday and Thursday and talk about all of the weird things in college football, including and especially whatever that was on Saturday. That was a true sicko's delight <laughs> because <laughs> anyone watching for good football or a good time, if you're a pit fan, you're not getting it. You're getting a, <laughs> you're mm-hmm. a sicko. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that's, that's your bread and butter and, uh, and just a really entertaining podcast and Twitter follow and, and all of that. Uh, uh, f- folks, if you're listening to this, please 
follow Pit Talk Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've got new episodes coming out. Olympic Gold and Blue, Panthers Pathway, Panthers and the Pros. We've got a lot on this new fledgling network. We are part of the Fans First Sports Network. Uh, we are Pit Talk Network. So you can find us on Twitter, on Blue Sky. Again, please follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes of Football Unscripted will come out every single Monday. We'll be back here next week talking about Pitt versus North Carolina. We'll see how that goes. Again, thank you, Pitt Girl, for joining us. Uh, until next time, I am Corey Cohen signing off on the Pitt Talk Network.